0: Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Daniel, chapter 6, you'll find it at page 743 if you have the regular print, 945 if you have the large print. actually going to start reading at verse 30 of chapter 5, and we'll read all the way through Daniel chapter 6. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three presidents of whom Daniel was one. To whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. And no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these presidents and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever All the presidents of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, Did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel who was one of the exiles from Judah pays no attention to you O king or the injunction you have signed but makes his petition 3 times a day then the king when he heard these words was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den And no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues, he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, he who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's go to God in prayer. Father in heaven, we give thanks for this portion of your word, and may we study this and be somewhat like Daniel, who was faithful in all his ways, and we know that even his ways were from your power, from your Holy Spirit, and we just pray that you'd work in our hearts to do your will, we pray, and just bless uh, Dr. DeYoung as he brings this to us, that through the preaching of the word, we may be encouraged and strengthened, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Five years ago, I think it was, in the spring of 2013, I taught through the book of Daniel at Lamont Christian School. Some of you might have been there. I think I see a familiar face or two. I have, this past winter, preached, not preached, taught through the book of Daniel with two different groups down in Florida, one at our church down there, a PCA church, and one in our park. I love the book of Daniel. It's so fascinating. It's such a beautiful demonstration of the way God works. Not everybody likes it. Jewish scholars tend to hate the book of Daniel. You say, why? It has too much of Jesus Christ in it. The book of Daniel is, I think, in my estimation, the most messianic of all the books in the Old Testament. There are so many places where Jesus Christ comes through loud and clear. It's also a book that we have always found to be fascinating for our Sunday school. The story here in chapter 6 is one that I find fascinating because it so clearly demonstrates the way God demonstrates his sovereign power over the affairs of men. Pastor Bob was dealing this morning with the book of Esther. That book, the book of Esther follows right after Daniel as far as chronology is concerned. You go from Daniel and you where we are now in Daniel, you're in the Persian empire, you're under the rule of Darius the 1st, and then from there it goes into the book of Esther, and once you get through the book of Esther, then you go to Ezra, and then you go to Nehemiah. And if you see those chronologically, you will recognize there that the primary theme from the book of Daniel continues in the book of Esther. The book of Daniel has as one primary theme the sovereignty of God. You have to read the book of Esther with that in mind. Tonight, though, we want to focus on chapter six and hopefully understand the situation and the setting here. Reading through some commentaries, I found that a number of commentaries are very confused about who this Darius is. Uh, some of them claim that this is Darius I. Some of them say, no, this is Darius II who comes a bit later. And some of them say, no, that's Darius 3, who comes a lot, lot later. Really shouldn't be an issue. Because the end of chapter 5 tells us that the Medes and the Persians came together and conquered Babylon, killed Belshazzar that very night, and the next morning... They were in control of that former Babylonian empire, and now it is called a Persian empire. We need to understand that a bit. In the book of Daniel, you have one of the dreams that Nebuchadnezzar gets, where he finds that there are four kingdoms which are going to follow one after the other. The first kingdom there is Babylon. The second one is Persia the third one is Greece, and the fourth one is Rome. And all the way through that dream, there is this stone cut out of the mountain who is going to crush each of those kingdoms and then is going to triumph during the time of the fourth kingdom. That's beautifully demonstrated in history. We won't go into that. But the second kingdom there, this one that we call Persia, is actually two different armies coming together to attack babylon you have one group which is called the medes and they had their home base was media the other group are persians cyrus is king of persia darius is the king of media those two come together and jointly attack Babylon, and kill Belshazzar, the Babylonian king. Now, you have two kings. Who's going to be top dog? Who's going to govern? Who's going to rule? Well, the point here is that you have Cyrus doing one thing and Darius doing something else. In order to understand what Cyrus is doing, I would ask you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 44. We're going to do a little bit of jumping around to make sure we see how these pieces hang together. The prophet Isaiah is writing somewhere between 740 and 700 B.C. Exactly when he wrote this, we don't know for sure. But in Isaiah chapter 44 at verse 28, we read this. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall fulfill all my purpose saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built, and of the temple, your foundation shall be laid. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped, to subdue nations, etc. And it goes on to describe Cyrus and his role in history. That's in 700. Belshazzar is killed In 539, that's at least 160 years later. So God identifies Cyrus as his anointed servant, whose job it's going to be to rebuild the temple, which Nebuchadnezzar is going to destroy in 586 BC. Daniel is an old man. By the time Belshazzar is killed. He's probably 85 years old. But Daniel knows the scriptures. He knows the book of Isaiah. These armies, these joint armies of Persia and Media come in and attack Babylon. And Darius says, there's Cyrus. I read about him in Isaiah 44 and Isaiah 45. So Daniel takes his Bible scroll at that time, not a book like this. but he takes the scroll and he opens it to Cyrus and says, Cyrus, this is you. You were prophesied by my God 160 years ago, and here you are in history, and you have a job to do. God has called you, his anointed, and he's commanded you to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. I had to have that temple destroyed. I had to have the city destroyed because it was so wicked. But I promised them through Jeremiah that I would rebuild and I would return them. Cyrus, you are the man. Now, you don't read much about Cyrus in the book of Daniel. But if you go to the book of Ezra, or you go to 2 Chronicles 36, you're going to find a great deal of focus there on Cyrus, the Persian king. And go with me for just a minute to Ezra. Ezra comes just before Nehemiah, comes right after Chronicles. We'll actually pick up there, 2 Chronicles 36, beginning at verse 22. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. And then if you read the first couple chapters in the book of Ezra, you're going to find that Cyrus says, anybody who wants to go may go. Approximately 50,000 people decide they're going to leave Persia and they're going to go back to Jerusalem. And then Cyrus says, here, all of the gold and the silver that we took out of the temple and out of Jerusalem... It's yours. Take it back. How many hundred animals do you need? How many hundreds of horses do you need? What, what do you need to build that temple? Take whatever you want. If you read through Ezra chapter 1, and I'll pick up just a little bit there in verse 4, Ezra 1 verse 4, and let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold with goods and with beasts besides free will offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And if you go ahead a couple of chapters to chapter 6, you find that Cyrus allows them to do whatever they want. All of their expenses for rebuilding the temple are paid out of royal treasury. You can tax anybody you want to rebuild the temple. Now think about that for a minute. The Persian Empire has just lost about 50,000 of its slaves, its residents, hundreds and hundreds of horses and camels and everything else, gold and silver in the millions, and away they go back to Jerusalem. And all of a sudden they say, oh, we need more money. Well, levy a tax. How many of those people that are being taxed are believers? How many of those worship Jehovah God? Very, very few. Persia is officially worshiping Zoroaster. Babylon has worshiped Marduk. The majority of those people are idol worshipers. But Cyrus says, go ahead, tax them, and they have to pay. And if they don't pay, we'll destroy their house. What are these residents going to do? Not pay taxes? Not give in? We've got to get rid of Daniel. Daniel is the culprit. Daniel is the one who put the bug in Cyrus' ear. And Daniel is now the top dog in the whole government? See, Darius' job was to organize the government. He's a great organizer. He puts in all these divisions, these provinces, these satraps, the governors and everything. That's his job. And Darius loves Daniel. Daniel is the apple of his eye. And the idol worshipers throughout the kingdom are saying, how can we get rid of Daniel? The only way we're going to get him is to pass a law that says everybody in the whole empire has to worship Darius. Just for 30 days. No, not all year. Just 30 days and then worship just Darius. After all, he's king. How many Jews do you think gave in and did that? We don't know. There's one who says, no way. Daniel could have done a couple of things. Daniel could have said, I've gone to Darius, Darius, you've been such a close friend. I've advised you, can't you? No. We cannot change the laws. See, once the Persian and the Median armies got together and they formed a government, they said, any time we can formulate a law or an injunction that both sides agree to, you cannot annul it. You must obey it because now both armies and both sides have come to full agreement. There's no way in the world. Could Daniel have gone to Cyrus and said, Cyrus... Don't you realize how Cyrus is going to say, look, I did what God commanded me to do. Your God is the one who told me that was my job in history. I can't change that. Daniel does what he needs to do. He goes to God in prayer. This morning we saw from Pastor Bob that that's not what Mordecai did. Mordecai went around the city screaming and hollering with bitter cries, condemning this thing. Because by the time you get to Esther, which is about 60 years after Daniel, after the story of Daniel, by the time you get there, there is tremendous widespread hatred of all the Jews in the empire. They're only too willing to execute and to plunder the Jews. By the time of Daniel and Darius, that's not nearly as widespread. If we could just get rid of Daniel, that'll take care of the problem. No, it won't. Daniel does exactly what every believer ought to do. Go to God. There's no power greater than God. You can't appeal. You couldn't file a lawsuit against those people. You couldn't organize a rebellion. Go to God in prayer. Now, could God have stopped this lying scheme? Because that's what it was. These liars are very clever. They couched their message in such a way that Darius bought into it. And Darius thought he was really being somebody. Everybody's going to pray to me and bow before me. Uh, Darius was duped. Dumb. He should never have done that. God lets it happen. God's sovereignty is operable even when he's silent. When he seemingly does nothing, he's actually allowing something. And you say, why would God allow these conniving, lying skunks to get that law passed? Because God has a greater purpose in mind. Part of the Westminster Confession says that God has a foreknowledge of everything that is going to happen tomorrow, next year, and down the road not only for us, but for everybody. That blows my mind. How awesome a God that can do that. God allows evil to happen quite often because he has a higher purpose behind it. Some of you may read World Magazine. I hope you do. It's a good magazine. Last issue, there was a story about Boko Haram in Nigeria. They've been terrible. The way they go with a whole bunch of soldiers into the schools, and they take all of the young girls they can find and take them out and use them for sexual purposes and as slaves. There was a school in northern Nigeria where they, Boko Haram went in, and they took 104 young girls out and kept them captive. The governor said, wait a minute, you can't do that, bring them back. The government put enough pressure on them, so Boko Haram brought 103 back. One girl refused to become a Muslim girl by the name of Leah, I will not denounce my Savior. I will not bow before Allah. You can do what you want but I will not denounce my Savior. That's the kind of thing Daniel is doing. The courage to stand up in the face of such tremendous power and say, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to trust God. Look at a couple of other things in this passage. We probably don't focus, at least most of our Sunday school lessons don't focus on the way that this plays out. But God says, I'll let you do this, I'll let you put Daniel, because I want the gospel to go out through the whole empire. So God goes in there to that den of lions. And he shuts their mouths, and they probably standing around mewing or whatever lions do. Probably not roaring. They don't do a thing, (laughs) they don't hurt Daniel, nothing at all. Daniel comes out perfectly whole. Darius says, Your God is the true God. We're going to issue an unction. An injunction all through the empire from Ethiopia in the south to India in the east to Greece in the north to every place conceivable everybody in this whole empire must bow and kneel and worship Jehovah. God, did you have that plan? That's an amazing way that the gospel goes out. If you go back into the Daniel, you see the same thing twice over. When Nebuchadnezzar puts the three friends into the fiery furnace, he confronts Jesus Christ. And he issues a proclamation to the whole empire. This is the true God. All of your idols are false gods. A bit later, when Nebuchadnezzar is finally humiliated and he's been living like an animal for seven years and comes to his senses, he issues another proclamation to the whole empire. The gospel, the good news is going out throughout the world because some people stood for truth and righteousness. The same thing is going to happen when you take a look at the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah. King Artaxerxes does the same thing when he sends Ezra out to proclaim and teach the law of God. And that goes out to the whole empire. Thirteen years later, he does the same thing with Nehemiah. And he says, Nehemiah, you have to go to Jerusalem, rebuild the city, rebuild the walls. Everybody in the whole world has to pay taxes for that purpose. God can make his gospel, his word, go out in amazing ways. There's another side to this as well. Darius also brings justice and judgment to all of those lying characters. Everyone who was involved in setting up this scheme Throw him into the lion's den. That's going to be your punishment. You wanted to kill Daniel. Let's see what the lions do to you. Now, if you read Josephus, you'll find an interesting little dimension to this. Josephus tells us that all of these people who were destined for the den go to Darius and say, but, 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 you know what? Before you put Daniel in there, you fed those lions huge chunks of red meat. That's why they weren't hungry when Daniel got there. And Darius said, all right, we'll throw him a whole bunch of red meat. And now he throws them in. And the text tells us, before they hit the bottom, every one of those mothers, children, fathers, everyone is crushed and broken. You say, isn't that something terribly cruel? Yes, our Supreme Court would never approve that, I don't think. But if you go back into the Babylonian Empire, they had a form of punishment too. Death penalty was throw them into a fiery furnace, so they incinerate. It's quick. It's efficient. You don't have to worry about any remnants left over. They deserve to die. This is a quick way of doing it. Of course, you go ahead into the Roman Empire, and they say, well, let's build a Colosseum, and then let's put lions in cages, and then we'll put Christians out there in the arena, and we'll get a whole big crowd, and they'll be cheering when we open the gate so the lion can get out man's inhumanity sometimes is beyond imagination. But there's justice here. God tells us in Deuteronomy, he tells us in 2 Kings, he tells us in Ezekiel 18 that no child should ever have to die for his father's sins. And no father should ever have to die for his children's sins. And no wife should ever have to die for her husband's sins. And yet all of these people, wives, children, adults, are all thrown in and they're all killed immediately. Is God breaking his own laws? No. Not at all. Those people, obviously, were complicit. They were knowledgeable. They didn't object. They didn't try to stop it. So they too, have to die. There's a beautiful message here in Daniel about God's saving love. About the way he cares for his people. But there's also a powerful message about the justice of God. God does not like sin. God hates sin. And he hates those who do it. And they have to be punished the good news is you and I don't have to because Jesus Christ died for us he paid for all of my sins and he paid for yours that's the wonderful good news of the gospel let's praise him amen Dear God and Father, we thank you for giving us your word. We thank you for this tremendous story of Daniel in the lion's den and the way you cared for him. But we're also excited, Lord, about the many ways you proclaimed the good news of the gospel. You brought your name, true worship, throughout that empire. And Lord, help us in our lives in our daily activities, to see your providential hand. Help us to realize that you are in control of our lives. And sometimes things happen to us that seem to be so wrong, that seem to be so difficult and so painful. We maybe have been fired from a job. We maybe have had to go through a divorce. We maybe have had to lose our bank accounts. So many things sometimes happen. But help us, Lord, to realize that you are sovereign over even the little things in our daily lives. and Help us never to forget that beautiful statement from Romans 8. All things work together for good to those who love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.